Greetings, adventurer. Welcome back to D20 Academy. I'm your host, Shallow Kaneshiro, and today is episode 16, Customizing Your Character. Alright, so uh, today uh, I'm going to be going over customizing your character, um, you know, whether that means talking about multiclassing, um, taking different feats, um, anything kind of uh, in these 5th edition rules that kind of help you separate your character um, from others. Not really like thematically, not really talking about like, you know, making your character unique, whether it comes to like background, personality, and appearance and stuff, um, but more rules-wise, um, ability kind of things. Uh, that you can take to help, um, you know, kind of separate your character from other ones, make them unique, uh, and kind of uh, make them start going down the path that uh, you want them to. Um, real quick, I want to make this very brief. Um, if you haven't noticed, I haven't posted an episode in like two months. Um, my life's been really crazy um, with so many different things. Um, one of those actually is I'm working on a uh, show, um, which, you know, We'll probably be out on YouTube, uh, hopefully in a month or two, as we move into post-production. I will keep you updated. Um, but yes, I am back, um, as you can tell, with way better uh, audio equipment as well. I'm super excited to jump right back in um, to D20 Academy. Uh, my plan is to be posting every Tuesday, um, except the first Monday of every month, I want to be doing Monster Mondays. Um, but other than that, I want to be posting every Tuesday. Um, you know, keeping up with all this uh, awesome content uh, that I really enjoy making, and hopefully you guys enjoy listening to. Alright, without further ado, let's get into customizing your character. Alright, so we're going to start with uh, multi-classing. Um, so I've talked a lot about classes uh, on the podcast. Um, you know, their strengths, their weaknesses, uh, the play tips, the play types uh, they match up with. Um... Uh, if you haven't been keeping up with the podcast, I've been releasing uh, class spotlights, which are whole episodes dedicated just to talking about a certain class. Um, so if you are kind of new to the game or interested in maybe figuring out a class you want to play, or maybe you've already played the game a lot, um, but you know either want to refresh on the classes or hear about classes that you've probably never played before, um, go ahead, check out those class spotlights. I'm going to continually post those as well. Um, kind of keep up uh, posting Monster Mondays and Class Spotlights um, periodically. Um, but even beyond that, I've talked about kind of uh, the, you know, the, the way you build your party, party balance and stuff, and that, a lot of that includes, um, you know, talking about classes and all that. So I have talked a lot about classes. It's a really big part of the game. Um, and basically, if you're kind of unfamiliar, just real quick, the class is kind of like your character's uh, kind of profession, their, their focus. Um, so there's like barbarians um, who are, you know, melee weapon fighters, uh, you know, they have lots of health. The strategy is like running into battle and things. Um, there's like wizards who are good at casting spells and, uh, you know, having that um, flexibility with spell casting. And, um, you know, there's so many different kinds of classes, rogues, rangers, clerics. Um, and it's a really cool part of the game. It's one of the things that kind of separates your character Um you know, different characters, all of different classes coming together to form a party uh, is, you know, one of the best parts of the uh, of the game. Uh, but there is this thing called multiclassing. Um, I believe multiclassing began in Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition. Um, uh, there was 
two kinds of things. There was multi-classing, uh, which was really confusing and unstrategic way uh, to like split your experience points into leveling into more than one class, and it was pretty complicated and confusing. And then there's dual classing, uh, which was actually only available to uh, people who played humans, and it is so strange and thematically confusing. I'm not even gonna try to explain it to you. Yeah, it, that was kind of a mess in second edition. Uh, third edition made the system much simpler uh, in 3.5 and more strategically advantageous, um, you know, to take feats. I mean, sorry, to multi-class. Um, but it still very much had its kinks. And I will start talking a little bit more about uh, feats in third edition a little bit later. Um, fourth edition multi-classing was kind of akin to dip classing more than multi-classing. In the sense, dip classing is kind of the, the concept that you have your main class, right, your main focus, but then you kind of dip into little, uh, little like just a couple levels into just these other side classes um, to gain these certain abilities that just enhances your character. Um, so it wasn't too bad of a system, but it was, you know, whatever in 4th edition. Um, basically, here's how it works in 5th edition. Basically, multi-classing is the concept that you're taking levels in multiple classes. So you're kind of splitting up um, your your focus uh, to you know be more uh, you know have more diversity in your skills and and um, strengths and stuff. Um, so every class requires a certain prerequisites when it comes to ability scores. So like barbarians require uh, thirteen strength, clerics require thirteen wisdom, warlocks require thirteen charisma, so on and so forth. Um, just because basically if you don't have uh, high uh, numbers in those ability scores. Uh, multi-classing into it is going to be a pretty bad idea. You're not really going to get anything out of it. Um, so there is, you know, you need certain XP to, to level up, certain experience points to level up in the game. And when you get to an, enough XP to get to the next level, you can either take another level in the class that you're currently in or the first level in another class. So basically, um, if you're like have six levels in cleric and one fighter uh, one level in fighter you have to gain enough xp to reach level eight before you can either take your second level in fighter or your seventh level as a cleric so it's a little confusing um you're still progressing the same amount as as the other players so you still need the same xp to get the then to get to the next level but instead of just getting the next level in your one class you can split up getting levels into these two or even three or four different classes um your hit points are also kind of managed based on, on your class. Um, each class has a certain hit die, so whether it be a d8 or a d10 or uh, a d6, um, you just kind of combine those together to create your hit point maximum, so that's not too confusing. And your proficiency bonus is equal to all your levels added up together. So if you're uh, a cleric 6 and a fighter 2, um, you're going to have the proficiency bonus of an 8th level character, essentially. Um, you also gain some proficiencies when you go into the classes, so you're not completely helpless. Like if you're a wizard going into fighter, um, you know you need to be able to gain those martial weapon proficiencies to even be useful at all as a fighter. Um, so that's kind of nice. And then uh, you just you know you gain the features and stuff the same as always. Um, there is some uh, certain uh, uh, class features and things that that it goes into in the player's handbook. Um, like, for example, if you, have, if you have the extra attack feature from two different classes, they don't stack. Um, and then they kind of explain spellcasting, which I'm not going to go into here. Um, it's not super complex, but it might just take a while to explain. Uh, definitely if you're not already familiar with how spellcasting works in the game. Um, 
but you know it, it's pretty it's a pretty balanced system it's pretty cool um yeah so why would you multi-class right it's to kind of broaden your character's focus so you know whether they're like melee ranged weapons spell casting uh, buffing their allies um maybe like utility things like being able to sneak around um pick locks track monsters um you know heal allies whatever you know you kind of your character's focus uh is very dependent on your class and multi-classing helps broaden that a bit more so how does this kind of impact the the party balance right um party balance is really important i actually have a whole episode on it um but it's basically like making sure that everyone around the table is having fun and making sure that the party has enough balance to deal with any of the problems that they might have to face right so just real quick kind of in party balance you want someone who you know will be able to maybe in a battle situation go right into the fray take lots of damage um, but still keep standing someone who wants to who, you know can help heal the other allies someone with lots of spell casting uh, so they can you know be flexible in certain situations uh, so party balance is pretty important when it comes to a game definitely when it comes to making sure everyone's having fun make sure everyone's happy um, so how does multi-classing affect this? Because essentially, um, party balance relies on people taking different classes so everyone feels special, everyone has their own strengths and stuff, and multi-classing kind of changes that. If you have a low amount of players in your campaign, uh, two or three, uh, may, I mean, I think four is like the perfect amount of players f uh, for a campaign, four players and then a dungeon master. But if you have like two or three players, uh, maybe even just one player, uh, multi-classing can be pretty good because you are, um, you know, you're making sure you can deal with all these different kinds of problems. Um, so like, for example, if you have a player, um, and they're like a barbarian, right? So they can, they can like stick soaking up this damage and everything, um, in battle and you have a cleric who can heal and also has some magic capabilities. Um, but you kind of run into a situation where you need someone to be able to sneak around, steal something, maybe spy on someone. Uh, one of those two characters might multi-class into rogue or multi-class into ranger um, to get, you know, more class features and stuff to better equip them to deal with that kind of situation. Um, once again, if you have lots of players, you're probably going to have a rogue or probably have a ranger, and that's their job. That's going to be their strength um, in dealing with situations like that. So I think when you have a low amount of players, multi-classing can be pretty good because... Uh, you know, you can make sure you cover all the bases, uh, deal with being, you know, be able to deal with all the problems. Um, but I do not think that you, if you have a lot of players in your game, uh, that you should have players uh, multi-class. Uh, like I explained, you know, party balance and people having their specific focus, their specific strengths, um, allows all the players in the game to feel special, to have fun. Um, and when you start to kind of divert that away uh, kind of take that away from certain players um, and pile it onto one that can really you know ruin the fun for the table right if you have someone who's a rogue and they've you know they really their character is really good at sneaking around really good at spying on people really good at picking locks they've really helped out the group a lot because of this skill set they feel special they feel needed in the group they're having a lot of fun and another player begins multi-classing into rogue getting those same abilities they don't really need that rogue as much anymore because this person this other character uh can you know do some of this rogue stuff and they also have this other skill set maybe they're also a fighter or a cleric or something 
And so that kind of ruins the fun, makes people feel less special, uh, moves the spotlight more onto just one or two people who are like multiclassing, um, you know, taking all the, the skills, being super versatile and everything. Um, so I think if you have lots of players, um, if you already have really good party balance, then multiclassing is really not needed. Uh, once again, I think if you are a, a DM, um, you know, it's not really your job to tell players that they can't do things that, they, you know, oh, you can't be an elf or you can't be a barbarian or this stuff. I think it's the part of the fun for characters, for players is, you know, building their own characters, making it unique, playing things they want to play. You know, ultimately D&D is about fun and it's about, it's, it's playing a game, you know, so you want people to be able to play the things they want to play so they can have the most fun. Uh, and maybe, you know, they do want a multi-class and all this stuff, but just, you do have to be wary to make sure that they're not ruining the fun for other people at the table. Um, so if you think that multiclassing may kind of be a point of contention for your group, uh, make sure you talk about it with them. Um, you know, make sure that everyone is on the same page, uh, and everyone is okay with it. Because, uh, it can definitely be one of those things, uh, at the table that kind of sneaks up, um, and it's kind of an unsaid thing, and people start to lose interest and start having less fun and stuff. Um, so just make sure, uh, that, you know, you're aware of that. As, as a DM and also as, as, as a group, even if you're a player, uh, make sure you, you know, if you want to multi-class or you see someone else multi-classing and you, you think it may not be the best idea just because it's, it's taking uh, some of the, the spotlight away from other peop, um, players, make sure to bring it up uh, so you can solve that immediately. Okay, so strength of multi-classing, right? You get variation, uh, you become kind of a jack-of-all-trades kind of situation. Um, and then, of course, the weaknesses of multi-classing is you're not really good at any specific thing. Um, and then, of course, taking the other player's spotlight and such. Um, so, you know, just want to make sure that everyone is on the same page and stuff with that. Um, but multiclassing can be really cool, a way of customizing your character, right? Uh, one of the kind of big, uh, more more popular uh, things when it comes to multiclassing is, like, taking levels in fighter and wizard because people, like, you know, being a weapon fighter, being able to battle, and then also have the flexibility of casting spells. Um, so that that that's really cool, and I and I, I really like that. Um, and you know, if you, if that's kind of the one something you're gonna do as a player, uh, you know, that's cool. Once again, make sure it's not taking away the fun from anyone or anything like that. Um, however, I don't want to talk about multiclassing real quick. Um, it, how do I, like. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> as a player, um, you know, if you're multiclassing, there is, in 5th edition, kind of... Well, if you listen to class spotlights or if you've kind of played the game, uh, you know about the, you know, all these classes have subclasses, right? So for fighters, it's... Um, I believe they're just called archetypes. And then for clerics, they're like domains, and then wizards, they're like schools of magic. Basically, when you get to like first, second, or third level, you have this choice between these these this different kind of specialties in your class. And then at certain levels, you gain uh, more class features based on which path you took. Um, and this is a cool way to further customize your character, um, make them better at a certain kind of thing, or maybe even make them more versatile. Um, so multiclassing is less popular and less common in 5th edition because of these uh, these subclasses and these archetypes and such. Um, so, 
I've been talking about multiclassing for like 10 minutes now. Um, you may not even ever see it come up in your game. But, um, yeah, I mean, it is kind of an interesting thing. I'm glad they have rules for it in 5th edition. I think it can be kind of cool. Uh, the game I'm running now has uh, has four players, and I think three of them um, have actually multiclassed. And it's not really been a problem at all. Uh, and, you know, it's it was more for things for their character. Um, you know, story beats and character development, things that happen to their character that... Um, you know, kind of that they chose to make the shift into different kind of classes. Um, but yeah, it, it's been fine in my campaign uh, so far. And I think it can be really cool. Um, definitely for experienced players, people have played a lot. They want some, you know, something new, something fresh in their game. So there might be multiclassing kind of a lot. Um, but yeah, that's kind of a talk on multiclassing. And let's get into feats um, because they're awesome and I really want to talk about them. Okay, so... Um, Feats, uh, they're, they're kind of a way to personalize and customize your character's uh, skill set and strengths. Um, they're kind of like extra features, uh, you know, well, that's what they are, right? They're feats, um, talents, um, kind of these abilities that you can gain um, that allow you to be more skilled in this specific area. Um, I believe feats began... Um, in the third edition, it was kind of like near the end of, of 2.5, uh, which is kind of like this transition edition. Uh, they were releasing uh, lots of content at that time um, to really detail the game, uh, make it more complex, make customizing character um, way more uh, intense. And uh, yeah, so in third edition, uh, you gained a feat like every third level. Um, they were uh, pretty... Uh, pretty detailed, and there were tons of them. They released lots of supplements for 3rd edition 3.5, um, and eventually there was like a hundred, like maybe even more, uh, just feats, which, you know, just all these tiny little, very specific abilities that you can choose from um, to further customize your character. And I want to get into this a little, little more later, um, but it was cool for the um the the intellectuals the people who had the time to read up on all that stuff um you know really cared about optimizing their character making their character really powerful um but it really wasn't uh first of all was not friendly to new players at all because it was it's very daunting having to choose from this crazy array of feats um and also encouraged lots of like uh character optimization and caring more about combat and everything than, you know, role-playing or any other aspect of the game. But I think a lot of people did enjoy it and stuff, and, uh, you know, the system wasn't totally broken or, or ruined. Um, now, in 5th edition, um, feats are quite nice. Um, I'm going to go into their why I like them and why I hate them in a second. Um, but basically, in 5th edition, uh, you can take a feat in place of an ability score improvement. So, essentially... Every four levels uh, in D&D 5th edition. I think that's not always the case. Maybe it's like f near the end. It's only like every three or five levels. Anywho, mo basically, every four levels, you get an ability score improvement as your, uh, as, your, as, as your bonus for getting that level. And it's either... Um, basically, that means you can add uh, a bonus to you, one of your ability scores, right? Strength, constitution intelligence, whatever, either get a plus two bonus to one of those or a plus one bonus to two of them. 
So there's a really cool way to make your character stronger. Obviously, you want to be putting bonuses into, you know, the abilities they use the most and such so your character gets stronger. Um, you know, really, really, really simple thing. Ability and score improvements are cool. Um, I think it's a really good system uh, that they built into 5th edition. Now, if you would ever get an ability score improvement, um, instead of doing that bonus to one of your ability scores, you can instead choose to take a feat. Um, so this means you can take your first feat at 4th level. There is an exception. There is a variant human uh, race option. So if you choose human, uh, the, base, the, the most common thing is you get plus 1 to every ability score. But you can choose a variant human that's, that's in the player's handbook if your DM allows it um, that provides plus one to two ability scores and then a feat of your choice, which means you can have a feat at level one, uh, which is really cool. I really like that variant human. Um, it can get a little out of hand <laughs> for some parties, def- you know, for some crazy players. But yeah, so feats basically, um, uh, they make character better specific thing. Like whether it's using a certain kind of weapon, um, expanding your proficiencies, being good at fighting a certain kind of enemy, uh, something like that. Um, I'm not going to go over every feat in the 5th edition player's handbook. Um, thankfully, there's there's really not a lot. It's quite digestible for new players. Um, but uh, yeah, the feats I think are really interesting. Um, and also kind of weird because they're so dependent. Dependent on the character, the campaign, the setting. Um, because of their specificity, some feats are amazing for a certain character in a certain campaign and then useless for another character in another campaign. Um, but this makes them feel really customizable and a way to make your character more unique. Um, that is really what I like about it. Feats allow you to adapt your character to the campaign and, you know, make the character more unique. And, you know, it, it's it's really, it's really great. You, you'll see what I mean in a second when I kind of start going over... Um, some of the feats. Um, I just do want to touch on something that, I mean, it kind of happens a lot in D and D. Like when you get a new level, you get a new feature from your class and such. Same with feats. Um, feet, taking a feat has a weird f- effect thematically, because it's like, how did this character suddenly get this skill, or get this ability? Um, it's a, it's kind of a thing, that's just a part of D and D. Um, that you just kind of have to work through, you know, if you're just a fighter and like suddenly you reach fifth level and you attack twice as fast as you did before and stuff, or like sorcerers suddenly can do these crazy things with their spells overnight, um, which is just something you just kind of have to figure out and mostly people just like accept and that's just how it is and don't really put some thought into it. Um, but yeah, the same with feats, like you're gaining these abilities, these, uh, sometimes these special kinds of actions, um, that you just kind of get, just kind of get them, and your character just suddenly knows how to do this stuff, and it's a little weird, um, just thematically, you can figure it out if you want, most people just are just like, yeah, we'll just accept it, that's just like how it is, that's how the game works, sure, and it's fine, and it's not, not too bad, um, that's kind of just what I do in my campaign, but, you know, it is just kind of a thing, you'd notice, you know, once you start reading through the player's handbook and or start playing the game. That's just a little weird. But it's just a part of the game. I don't really know how else you can you can fix it or whatever without making it uh, complex and, and laborious. Okay, so real quick, I'll just kind of go over these feats just kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Um, so, starting at the top, there's, there's a feat called Alert. Um, 
The description is always on the lookout for danger. You gain the following benefit. You gain a plus five bonus to initiative. You can't be surprised while you're conscious. And other creatures don't gain advantage on attack rolls against you as a result of being unseen by you. Basically, the, these there's like these, you know, three different abilities you kind of get. Three different little features you get when you take this feat, which basically just makes your character more alert, right? Always on the lookout for danger, as, as the feat says. Um, so this is really neat because maybe in your campaign, um, there's a lot of like enemies who have been jumping you, been surprising you, ambushing you and such. That's just kind of how the campaign is. Um, those are the kind of enemies you've been facing a lot. Once you get to fourth level, you've realized this trend and you take alert so you can just be better equipped to face these enemies. Um, right? That's really cool. It makes your character um, better, um, better equipped to, to, to deal with these problems. Um, helps customize your character more, make them more unique and different um, from just any old person who's just taking ability score improvement. Um, and so that is really cool, right? But then maybe in a totally different campaign, having these like different kind of features hardly matter. Um, just the, the way you're, the way you're playing the game, the way your party deals with problems, um, the monsters the DM throws at you and such, this feat may not be any help to you at all. So stuff like that is just really interesting. Um, now I do have the book in front of me here. So if you hear me flipping through pages, uh, that's, that's what it is. Uh, there are some pretty basic, just combat focused feats. Um, so like dual wielder, um, you know, heavily armored, great weapon master, uh, grappler, things like that. Either, you know, making you better with certain kinds of armor or, you know, certain like big weapons or range weapons. Um, some of them are really strong um, and are, you know, definitely better than taking that ability score improvement. Just making your, uh, you know, your attacks and you, making you really powerful in combat. Most notably, great, great weapon master and... Um, where is it? Great Weapon Master, Savage Attacker, and Sharpshooter. Um, those ones are quite good um, if you want to kind of combat focus your character more. But then there are also, you know, quite specific uh, feats, depending on your character, depending on your campaign. For example, there's one called um, Tavern Brawler, which really just helps you if you're brawling a lot uh, with just your fists. Um, and so if you find yourself in lots of bar fights and stuff in the campaign, you can take that and become better at that. Um, observant, if you're, you know, you weren't here to be able to like read lips um, or just be more perceptive, depending maybe there's lots of investigation, uh, lots of things that you should notice in your campaign. Mage Slayer, if you're fighting lots of wizards. Um, in the campaign I'm running, like the main uh, evil race of monsters are all magic users. And one of my players took Mage Slayer and it's been really, really effective. Um, but even beyond these combat-focused things, there's, like, Inspiring Leader, which uh, I think is a feat you probably take um, once your character reaches a certain point, uh, you know, kind of completes a part of their character arc, becomes a leader. Because um, it's not a super good ability, um, and it's definitely not versatile. It definitely depends on your character and the campaign. Um, but that could be really something cool, you know, if you're not caring so super much about optimizing your character and more about your, um, you know, their, 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 their story arc and such. Um, like linguist, you can learn new language, uh, create like written ciphers. Um, there's like actor, which makes you better at, you know, being able to like lie to people, but then also being like a performer. 
And yeah, it's just really cool. Feats are just really interesting. Um, you know, it's just it's just really cool to be able to make your character skilled, more skilled at a certain thing. Um, back to that kind of party balance thing, making them feel more special um, because they have this new strength. Um, you know, they're skilled in this area. So yeah, those are kind of some of the feats. I do want to just mention real quick, um, there's this feat called Lucky. And <laughs> if you've played the game uh, with anyone as it, or you've seen like um, lots of things online, Lucky is kind of a meme uh, in the D&D community um, because it's really powerful. Uh, lucky basically means that you have three luck points and you can spend a luck point to roll an additional d20 and take whichever roll you want. And you gain all your luck points back when you finish a long rest. This feat may not sound like much, but it is insane. Oh, not only that, if a roll if there's a roll that's made against you for like an attack against you, you can roll d20 and then choose that lower result instead. So like you don't get critical hit or something. Lucky is amazing. Uh, it's versatile. Any campaign, any character can take it. It's really useful. Um, it's not like super broken that maybe you should ban it in your games or anything. Um, but it's quite good. And if you are a new player or someone who kind of wants to get into feats, can't decide or is a little daunted by um, kind of the detail in in some of these feats or the amount of them, uh, go with Lucky um, because it's really good and you're always going to be using it all the time. Okay, um, so... As I've mentioned before, I have not played D&D as a player uh, very much. For the most part, I am a DM. Um, but I have, I do have some experience with feats um, as, as a player, um, kind of playing a character. Um, they're, like I said, they're, they're, they're really cool. Um, one of the characters I made was a variant human, so he got a feat at first level. And I believe the one that I took um, is... I find it. I want to say it's something like observant or keen mind, something along those lines. Um, it was just because my character uh, was, you know, kind of a, a kind of a scholar, um, more of a slower, more observant kind of character, and I chose the feat to accentuate uh, that character's uh, skill set, um, and I really liked it. I was using it quite quite often. Uh, it was cool that I had, you know, kind of this special little skill. Uh, help, yeah, I, I felt like more, uh, you know, my character was more unique and more different. And uh, so that's that that's really good. Um, now, as a DM, my experience with feats is also quite positive. Um, I, you know, lots of the players, definitely in my current campaign, they've taken feats of all kinds. Um... The first few times uh, after they've chosen it um, and they're in a battle or something, an encounter that you've planned and they, you know, bust out all these things that they've gotten from this feat. It's a little hard um, at first just because you weren't totally aware of maybe how powerful or how different this would change the battle. And then you just kind of have to start, uh, you know, planning your encounters accordingly. But it hasn't gone like horribly or anything. Uh, I think feats have definitely made the characters stronger uh, than if they hadn't taken them and taken the ability score improvement instead. Um, but you know, some of them have been taken as, as story beats and character arc things, and uh, yeah, I think it's really cool. Now, I should 
also point out um, about feats that um, there's this thing kind of with feats and optimizing your character, and this goes back to 3rd edition. Um, if you played 3rd edition or 3.5 edition, it was very much like you have to optimize your character. You just kind of have, like, you kind of get this feeling that you just need to, if you want to keep up with anyone, you need to be optimizing your character, taking the best feats um, for your, your character's specialties and their weapon type and all this kind of stuff. And, listen, I don't think character optimization is bad at all. There's this weird stigma that, like, character um, optimization and role-playing are, like, countering each other, and I don't think that at all. I think optimizing your character can definitely help you role-play your character even better. Um, but also, like, being into this, like, mindset of having to optimize your character to, like, catch up with everyone, definitely if it's not something you really want to do, um, I think it's kind of negative, and the feats in 3rd edition and 3.5 kind of had that effect. Now, in 5th edition, um, it's definitely not as much that, that vibe at all. Um, there's way less, it's, it's much less daunting, um, much less crazy, um, you know, there's only about, like, I think, like, what, 20, maybe, in the, uh, in just the player's handbook. Obviously, there's more getting released as they release more, um, content, and, uh, more little, little side books, but, you know, if you just take the, the player's handbook, um, you know, there's only about 20 to look at, um, but, also, some of them are, kind of, I don't know, some, they're not balanced, first of all, there's, there's, the 5th edition feats are very not balanced, um, obviously there are very specific campaigns, very specific characters where, like, a feat might be good, but there are, like, just, in general, just, like, way worse feats, um, than other ones, which, once again, if you don't care much about that stuff, that's fine, right, if it's a character thing, it's a story beat thing, that's amazing, take the feat, um, but I did kind of wish they were a little more balanced. Like, sometimes if just one more little feature, one more little change to something, uh, you know, would make someone take it. But, um, yeah, I do like that they're not as much about optimizing your character and stuff. And, you know, there are these more specific ones that have nothing to do with combat and uh, can be used more, right, to, uh, you know, if your campaign is more role-playing based or investigation based and such. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the, the feed system in 5th edition is quite good. I've had a good experience with it. Uh, and I think if you are interested in kind of spicing up your game a little bit, um, maybe if some of the, the, the classes and, uh, the basic stuff in the player's handbook is getting a little boring to you, uh, look at the feats, uh, try, try taking a feat. Um, it can be really fun. It can be really cool. Um, and it's just a, a way to further customize your character. All right, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Uh, thank you so much for, so much for listening. Um, sorry, this one was kind of a short one. I hope to, you know, be maybe making like 30 to 45, uh, maybe even to hour-long uh, podcasts in the future. Um, and sorry again for such the, uh, the long break uh, in the middle, uh, but I'm back on track. I'm excited to continue uh, making this podcast. Uh, so, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, have a great day.